Hello everyone. To paraphrase an old noir classic, there's 8 million stories in the naked city, and this is going to be one of them. I'm Jeff Wallenitz, and this is OK So. This week I sat down with Seema Patel, longtime industry friend, vice president of partnership development at Viacom CBS, and co-founder of Tech Bay. Seema and I talked about how dinner has become the center of her family's days, growing up all over the globe, and her path from TV production to addressable advertising. As always, if you like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter at Podcast okay so, and give us five stars on iTunes. On with the show. Okay, so hi everyone. Welcome to episode 13, Lucky 13 of OK So. I'm Jeff Wallenitz. Glad to have you back. With me is Seema Patel. Seema, welcome. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. How's life in the Jersey suburbs during quarantine? Oh, never a dull moment here at the Patel household. It is, uh, <laughs> it's been, it's nonstop all day, every day. So on a scale of one to 10, with one being like just a super normal average day and 10 being just an absolute chaotic zoo where all the creatures have been let out of the cages, you're like a 12? <laughs> Probably a 15. <laughs> yeah, okay. I feel like that scale is a, is a sliding one. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you're dealing with this um, situation here, work from home. So let's talk about distance learning first. Ordinarily, I talk about um, where people are from. So let's start with distance learning and then we'll rewind. How are things going there um, while you work a full-time job and your husband works a full-time job and you have to answer questions about pre-calculus or trigonometry? <laughs> it's definitely, it, you know, it's been quite an experience for all of us. So I have two girls, a 14-year-old in eighth grade, and an eight-year-old in second grade. And I definitely, the 14-year-old, I can't, neither of us can help her with math or, or most of her subjects because it's, it's way, way too complicated for us. But, you know, from time to time, I'll help her with writing assignments and such. And it's really, it's the little one. Um, you know, for the younger kids, they, they're learning, they're learning how to learn online. And that's a completely new experience. I think the older ones are much or it can, can adapt a lot quicker. Um, and I have to give the teachers and the school district a tremendous amount of, of just appreciation and, and respect because they've done a great job in, in just quickly um, changing, the, you know, changing the whole infrastructure and, and making materials available to the kids. But for the little ones, you know, like the other day, she came into my office while I was on a call and she said, you know, I don't know how to do this. And literally what she's doing now, she gets her assignments in PowerPoint and she's got to fill out, she's got to read passages. She's got to fill out slides. You know, she uses different apps to get her materials. So it's a whole new way. It's a whole new way of learning. And it's, it's a whole new way of, of learning how to use technology for them. It's a good crash course on what it's like to learn to work in media. Um, so she has a bright career ahead of her in media. <laughs> that's right. All um, we do is live in PowerPoints, right? Yeah, that's it. And so can I ask, let me ask a, like a super candid question, which is, you know, as a working mom, um, in general, you probably feel a sense of, um, am I there for my children all the time in general, right? Um, how are you finding this time to be through that lens? Are you more appreciative of the moments that you get with them? 
You know, I have to tell you, I, this this whole experience definitely came with a number of silver linings. And for me, it's getting the time back. There's so much time that I've missed throughout, you know, my kids. I've, I've, I've pretty much, I've worked uh, throughout. I, 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 took, I, I took whatever the regular maternity leave time that was allotted at whatever company I was working at the time that they were born. But I, you know, and I, I, I've worked my, most of their lives. So to have this time to be able to come, to actually be home for dinner, um, to just see them throughout the day has been amazing. Now, that being said, you know, there are definitely days when we're all on top of each other and we get on each other's nerves and, you know, we all like need, need our me time. Um, but I am truly grateful for the time that I have with them. I mean, the, the amount of bonding and, and just the, the, the amount, I, I feel like I've been given to a degree, um, time back with them. It's not to say that I don't, uh, you know, whereas before I think I, I didn't feel like I, I quite had the me time, but at looking, you know, reflecting back, I had my commute, my commute time, which I, I'm, I'm in Jersey. I, I have like about an hour and 20 commute each way. And so, although I don't miss the commute, that commute really gave me some time to reflect, some time to answer emails, some time to just get some personal stuff done. And so now literally I find that I'm on all day, every day. Like there, there isn't any downtime. Um, so that's sort of, that's, that's the trade-off, but the plus side is that I'm just around them. You know, I'm, I'm around them so much more and, and, and we're spending so much more time together. I've seen a lot of people tell stories about how, and I've done this myself, right? My son will sit next to me from time to time and actually do his work while I sit and do my work. And occasionally I'll be on a call and I'll mute and turn my head and tell him what to do and then turn back and unmute and go. Um, are you finding the ability to balance in the middle of the day a particular challenge? I mean, you know, that, yeah, that happens. That happens almost every day, every other day. My, my little one will come in, I'll be in the middle of a call and I'll, I'll literally, I'll turn the video off. <laughs> and, and mute <laughs> and try and help her. Um, and sometimes she'll put her, her laptop right next to mine and, you know, we'll try and work through things. I mean, it's just, it's what I'm finding is I, I felt like I was multitasking times 10 before. Now I feel like it's times 20. And to your point, there's, there's a bunch of silver linings and hopefully we all take the opportunity on some level to be able to sit back and actually examine um, our priorities, the things that are important. One of the things that's come out of this um, is we cook dinner every night now. Uh, half the time we would order in and we wouldn't worry about that, but we're cooking dinner time and dinner has become a thing in our house that we really, really love. So for Mother's Day, I got like, I got masterclass and I um, gave one of the subscriptions to my wife and we're going to do cooking classes together. So I feel like a lot oh, of this fantastic. familial interpersonal interactions really improved. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's the same for us. Dinner is an event and everybody looks forward to it. So with us, it's Sunday night. We'll make a menu for the week. And my, the older one, my 14 year old has really gotten into cooking. So um, she's my buddy in the kitchen. So she'll, you know, she'll prep She'll, there are certain things that she's learned to make on her own. I mean, again, such great bonding time. Um, it does add, it does add a layer of complexity because literally I'll try and figure out like, 
where are their pockets where I can run upstairs and maybe like prep or, or what do we need to do? Or, or like what, you know, if I, if I'm, if I have a call until six o'clock and, and, you know, it takes an hour, like what time are we really going to eat and then be done? <laughs> like there's, there's more coordination, but then the plus side is, I mean, we're, we're, we love food. So it's just something to look forward to. <laughs> Yeah, there's also, I mean, in addition to the when can I steal time to figure out my prep time, there's also the when can I steal time to shower or yeah, when can I steal totally. time to have lunch? <laughs> yeah, totally. Those are concerns I feel yeah. like I've never had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah lunch sometimes, lunch, you know, I'll have lunch at four. That's, that's just a reality. Yeah, I call it my own personal little intermittent fast because um, <laughs> right. I never know how long it's going gonna, it's gonna to take me to eat. Um Let's talk a little bit. So when you were growing up, was what did you have something in your family like the way that we're all, we both just talked about dinner? Like did your the whole family coalesce around an event or a thing while you were growing up? Was it dinner? It was dinner, yeah. Food was a big thing in my family. Um, so my parents were immigrants. They came over. Uh, to the U.S. from India in the 1960s, and that was at a time when, you know, if you were a vegetarian, that meant you ate boiled vegetables. Um, so they, you know, they they sort of they settled here and built a life here. And I just, uh, growing up, my mother always had something going on uh, going on the stove, and she was a working mom, um, but every night was full dinner. It was, and, and it was, you know, and she loved to cook. So I, a lot of my fondest memories of her are in the kitchen. Um, holidays were a big thing. You know, Thanksgiving was always, we always had a house full of people. So food's always been a big part uh, of, of my upbringing. Was it a lot of um, traditional Indian food? So was it a lot of biryanis and sogs and things like that? It was, it was, I mean, you name it. She was a fantastic cook. So she's just, yeah, everything under the sun. And then, you know, she, uh, over time, um, she sort of expanded and made it, made Italian food and Chinese food and, and, you know, just all different kinds of, of, um, of amazing dishes. So I learned a lot from her. Um, and I think I get, I, I, I enjoy cooking. Um, and again, you know, pre, pre quarantine, Monday through Monday through Friday, I, I didn't really get a huge opportunity to cook. Like, you know, we'd sort of just figure it out from night to night. And, you know, thankfully, I have family members that live really close by that'll, that, you know, my, my in-laws drop off food all the time, or, or I'd have my our babysitter make, make something throughout the week. And really the weekends was the time in between running around with the kids' activities was when I, you know, I'd cook. Um, so again, definitely one of the silver linings to all of this is to just have, have that, be able to share that with the kids and, and make that a part of our bonding time. And so both your parents worked, what did they, what they do? So my, my father worked for the UN, um, and my mother, when she first came uh, to the U S was a chemist. Uh, and later on she sort of switched careers, uh, and went into accounting. Oh my, how unique. Wait, so that's that's pretty uncommon um, to hear about a, a woman scientist, even as, as recently as the you know, 60s or 70s. Yeah, she, so she actually, 
wanted to go to, she wanted to be a doctor. Um, and she grew up, you know, in a, in a really small village in India. Um, she was one of six girls and her father passed away early on. So her mom, my grandmother was left with a single mom raising six girls. Uh, and she was determined to send them all to college. And, and in those days, you know, from coming from the remote area that they came from, that was just unheard of. Um, and, but she did it. She hustled. Uh, and my mother had dreams of becoming a doctor, never quite made it to medical school because of financial difficulties. Um, but she did make it to college and she got her degree uh, and was a chemist for a while. Uh, and then, you know, coming here that my, my parents sort of, we, we moved around a lot as a kid. And after they settled here, um, you know, she did that for a while. And then we moved abroad and, and lived um, lived in, in Europe for a while. And then, so she, she stopped working when we lived abroad. And then when they moved back to the States, she decided to go back to work um, and she decided to try something new and, and you know, went, went back and took some courses and decided to go into, into accounting. That's so interesting. And so was moving around and moving abroad, was that a function of your father's job? Was he a diplomat? It was. It was. He, he worked um, in, in, a, in the finance organization for the UN and he got, when I was just about two, he got an opportunity um, to move abroad, uh, and it was it was a great opportunity, so he took it. So we moved to Switzerland and lived there for seven years. Oh my God, what was that like? Do you have memories it, of that? I do. I, so I was uh, we lived. So I was there from probably when I was two up until I was nine. Um, I do. I have some really vivid, fond memories. I mean, it was it it was just it, it was a very laid back life, you know, my, my, my dad would go to work. My mother was home at the time. So, um, my sister was, was older. So, you know, we just, it, it was a great life. It was, it was laid back. Um, we had a lot of friends there. Um, we travel a lot in the summertime and sort of, we got to see uh, a lot of different countries. Um, and it was it was like really idyll idyllic. Like it was it was a great it was a great childhood there. And so you moved home, well, home, quote unquote, uh, when you were nine, uh, back to Jersey. Is that where you guys went? Is that where you grew up? We, here? Yeah, we 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 ended up back in Jersey, and then um, we moved to Westchester a few years later. So I, I actually spent most of middle school and high school. Uh, in Westchester. Where'd you go to college? Northeastern in Boston. Oh, awesome. Boston's a great college town. Did you have a, did you have a good college experience there? It was fantastic. Boston's such a great diverse city. Um, I loved it. It was, it was fantastic. What'd you major in? Uh, communications, TV, radio production. Um, but funny story. I was actually initially an architecture major. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, wow. Um, so I, I was an architecture major. I wanted to do something a little more creative. And I actually wanted to go to art school. And my parents, being the traditional Indian parents that they were, gave me two choices. They were like, either go, into, <laughs> either go to med school or go to engineering school. 
<laughs> Neither of those were, were really appealing to me. So I said, okay, what well, you know, what can I do? So I thought, all right, maybe I'll, I'll apply to architecture programs and at least I'll be able to take some art classes. I can minor in art history or something. Um, and I got there and that, you know, my first year, it's all the math. I hated it. Um, and so I started looking at other programs and I, you know, Northeastern had a really great communications program and I thought, you know, maybe I could go into, into production and into that. That's, that's something creative and I could be behind the camera and maybe, you know, produce, uh, programming. So that was, that was my focus. That was my major. Did you wind up, um, cause I, my story <laughs> is that I was a history major in college. Um, and I was a history major in college, probably for the same reason you were a communications TV radio major. It just seemed appealing and enjoyable to you. And that's what I liked. And so that was where I, but I, it never, the minute I left school, I got a, you know, a job and then I, <laughs> it was being a history professor. Wasn't really what happened. Um, <laughs> did you have production jobs following college? I did. I did. So Northeastern actually had a co-op program. So um, six months out of the year, you were in classes and six months out of the year, you were actually working full-time jobs and they helped place you. So I got to do some pretty in interesting internships. Um, and I interned at like the local affiliate stations in Boston. And, you know, I worked on, on the, the evening news and, and I was able to kind of um, at least I worked at Cablevision, so it, like I, I was just able to get some experience, some some experience, and and that's that's actually why I picked that school because I I liked the idea of the co-op program because I didn't really know, I didn't feel confident in what I wanted to do, and so I thought at least getting you know full time exposure um, and experience would help me figure out what I wanted to do. How did you segue from production? and behind the camera to sort of operational media roles, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, so at, when I came out of school, one of my first jobs was um, I freelanced at the, at the 10 o'clock news, at Fox, Fox 5's 10 o'clock news in the city. And I also, I would, I would go back and forth between the news and, and I was, I was a, a news assistant. And I would do that, and I'd also I also worked on Good Morning America uh, in the same capacity. And as much as I loved it, the hours were crazy because I was either getting getting home at one o'clock in the morning, or or I'd have to have to, have to be on a train at like four in the morning to get there for for um, for the Good Day New York show. Um, so I started looking, you know, I, I started talking to recruiters to see where I could get my foot in the door, um, you know, on, on the, uh, maybe at a network or, or, you know, I just started like sort of branching out to see what other, what other opportunities might be available. And so one of the first opportunities that came up was actually a Comedy Central uh, as a log editor in the ad sales group, in the traffic group. And I went and interviewed for it and I thought, well, maybe this is a way in, like maybe I'll, I'll take this job, you know, I'll, I'll get my foot in the door and maybe eventually I can move over to the creative side. Uh, and I, what ended up happening was I had such a great time working in ad sales and I just kept 
you know, moving through pricing and planning and through inventory management, through, through all the different, all the different roles. Um, and I just stuck to it and I, and I actually never quite made it back to the creative side. So it was one of those things you just, you had an ability and a talent at, um, and that you enjoyed. I did. And, you know, and a lot of it had to do with the people too. Like, you know, when I, when I joined Comedy Central back then, and it was like in, in the year it was like 2000, 2001, um, it was such a, it was such a great group of people. We were a family I and mean, we were all kids. Uh, and it was like, it was like going to work with your friends, you know? So it was, it wasn't that I found my job. So, you know, I mean, I was a log, I was placing commercial spots on, on the log. Um, it wasn't like what I was doing was so exciting, but I loved the people that I was doing it with. And over time, as I started, as I started sort of moving up the ladder, you know, I moved into, I moved into inventory and then I moved into P&I. Um, yeah, I just found, I, I found it, it was fun. It was exciting. Um, you know, there were, there was so much going on. There were, you know, there were brand new shows coming out at the time. The Daily Show had just come out. South Park was big. So it was just an exciting time to be there. Yeah, I had a, a close friend of mine um, work there. Actually, he worked there and at Viacom uh, proper for a while. Um, he's at Facebook now, Craig Goodfriend. He had a, a sales job there. And, you know, every time we would talk, he's just, it's one of the most entertaining places to work because all of the people there really like comedy and they're really interested in what they're doing. And so the confluence of those things just became very exciting to him. Totally. And then so you jumped a couple of times and ultimately you landed at AT&T, well, DirecTV first, I think. And then, you know, there was, you went through the AT&T acquisition there. That's where we got acquainted. Talk a little bit about the experience you got there and how that led to what you're doing today. Yeah. So I landed, uh, I landed at DirecTV and they had actually, in, in one of my previous roles, I worked in, um, I worked in tech. So right after comedy, I went to go work for a company called Envision and they were, um, a front end order management systems provider. They're actually now owned by Media Ocean. Uh, and DirecTV was a client of mine. I had rolled them out on, uh, on their order management systems and, and, um, we'd started conversations around building a digital tool for them, uh, for their addressable and digital lines of business. Uh, so when I, when I joined direct, it was really to help them launch, uh, the address, their addressable advertising, their live linear addressable advertising platform. Um, and so I ran, um, system strategy and operations, uh, when I was there. And, it's that addressable experience that you had at DirecTV that I feel like ultimately led you to what you do today at Viacom, which is largely addressable strategy related. Yeah, it was, it, it was, I mean, you know, and at the time we, I'm going to, I'm going to quote, uh, my, my old, my old and favorite boss, Keith Kaiserman, we had no footprints in the sand to follow. Um, so we literally, we built this platform. There was no blueprint. There were, there were, you know, we were sort of figuring things out as we went along. Um, and it was exciting and it, it was just, it was the first, it was, the, it, we were the first out there selling live linear addressable, learned so much. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up at Viacom and sort of flipped the script a little bit. 
Um, it was exciting. It was an exciting opportunity for me to come back to the programmer side and to help launch Addressable here uh, on our Viacom nets and sort of flip the script and, and take my MVPD hat off and, and put my programmer hat back on. Well, and Keith himself has done the same thing. Keith, if you're listening, hi, Keith. I'll, I'll praise him a little bit. Um, I, I find him to be one of the more visionary people that I work with on a, on a regular basis. He's so sharp and so intelligent about his Absolutely. space, um, whether it's data or addressable, particularly those two things. What, tell me a little bit, uh, since you've talked about it, um, as him being your boss, what was his impact on your career um, when you worked with him and then as you've moved forward? Yeah, so he, so Keith actually ran, Keith ran ad sales um, and I reported into Jamie Calendricio who reported into Keith. And we all, I mean, you know, I think what was so unique about that experience was we were all sort of committed to the same goals. And it was, we just, we wanted to get this business off the ground and we wanted to see it grow. And I think Keith always had a unique perspective in that he really believed in bridging the strategy with the execution. I mean, those things really have to go hand in hand. And he's he's a he's a he he's got he's got the sales acumen, but he's also got the focus on how do we execute and operationalize the right way. So I think when you when you have that that vision. Uh, to join those two key areas together, that's what leads to a successful launch. Yeah, and you know, as one of of two really national satellite organizations, you know, again to your point, they were really putting together this strategic visionary business that um, really never existed in any meaningful way at the national level. So um, to see it bear fruit and where it is today. And then ultimately what you've now taken to Viacom to kind of turn that to, okay, how can programmers take advantage of this functionality, I think is the natural extension to that. Yeah. And, you know, and it's funny, when we launched it direct, we knew there would be a day and the day would come when the programmers would come knocking and would want to light up their own inventory. And we knew that was going to be you know, down the line, that would be definitely an opportunity for monetization. Um, you know, but we also wanted to focus on building our own business at the time um, and scaling that. So it's exciting. It's exciting to see it progress and it's exciting, you know, to see the, um, the expansion of what started as an MVPD capability now expanding to the programmers. Yeah. And actually, ultimately, what will be, I think, you know, a way for, uh, it's it's a whole new way for people to transact um, in that inventory really intelligently in a very data-informed way in order to make sure that they're executing on their campaign's goals. And ultimately, it'll be a better experience for the consumer too. Absolutely. Because it's all about, it's all about sending the right ad to the right person at the right time. It's all about having, you know, more relevance so let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about Tech Bay. Sure. Because this is one of those things that I just love when grassroots things like this take hold and grow into something like this. I mean, this was you and Sarah Foss and a couple of other people coming together and thinking, how can we affect, um, you know, sort of the empowerment of women in technology? So. Talk a little bit about how you guys kind of 
figured that out and came together and then developed into into what it is? Yeah, sure. So we we've known each other, uh, you know, throughout our careers for, for years and we've all interacted with each other in some way, shape or form, whether it was a client vendor relationship or whether we worked together or, you know, whether we just came across each other just in, in within media tech and advertising. Um, and so we we went out one night for drinks, uh, you know, back in November of 2018. And we just had sort of a, a session. We hadn't seen each other in a long time. We were all going through seismic changes in our careers um, and just like trying to cope, you know, just being working moms and, and dealing with work drama and just life in general. And we all walked away with such a, a boost uh, that we thought we should really do this more often and we should expand it to, to you know, our network of women why not host uh, some cur curated events, bring all the good women of tech that we know together and sort of, you know, like the energy that we felt that night, we just wanted to bottle it up and share it. Um, and so that's how we sort of came up with this idea of Tech Bay. I think the, the, the key part of it though, that, that we felt, we all felt really strongly about was that we wanted to make sure it was a good mix of junior, mid and senior level women um, because this was, we felt like our opportunity to pay it forward to the women that'll come after us. Um, you know, I remember when I left my last gig, there were some junior women that had approached me and said, Hey, can we keep in touch? You were one of the few that we felt was approachable and, and, you know, we'd love to just keep the, the, the dialogue open. And I felt a sense of responsibility. I mean, that's, you know, that's on that's on us. That's on us to make sure that we're opening those doors, that we're helping the women that'll come after us. Um, and so that's that that was sort of the genesis of Tech Bay. We thought let's you know let's start by just hosting happy hours and, and getting you know the women that we know and love together in a room and making introductions. Um, and it's sort of just gone from there. I mean, we certainly didn't expect. We didn't expect the engagement that we've gotten for, you know, from this and, and we didn't expect the momentum. How many people did you have at the first event that you guys threw? We had about, I think, 60 to 70 people show up to the first event. And literally it was it was scrappy. We, we sent out tech. We sent out texts, first of all, to see if people would be interested. And sure enough, you know, the responses we got was, yep, I'll be there. Just tell me the time and date. Uh, and so we put together an invite and, you know, we, we got a venue. Um, you know, some of us were able to get a little bit of funding from our from our individual companies. And we hosted a happy hour and we had it at the Dream Hotel downtown in the bar area. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was and it was great. And, you know, and the feedback we got after was you have to keep doing this. Please keep doing this. And so, you know, the next event uh, we had was hosted by Outbrain. Um, they they volunteered and said, use our space. Um, and we actually had more of a formal program um, and we had some speakers come and, you know, and again, it was it was just, it was so well received. So that's sort of, it's sort of, we, we try and, and mix up our events. Um, we've had some events that are pure, purely networking. And then we've, we've had others where we've had speakers or panels so we just had our last event pre-COVID was at Google, 
Um, and we had a panel of um, five or six different folks, leaders in the, in the industry, um, hosted by Corel Cooper, who hosts the uh, Minority Report for podcast. Yeah, let's take a moment and call out um, Corel's podcast, which is outstanding, uh, by the way. Um, they're about 35 episodes in or so, but um, if you're not listening, the Minority Report on iTunes, go find it. It's outstanding. Fantastic. Um, so we had on the panel, we had Lindsay Sheffield from Spectrum, we had Maria Weaver from Comcast, Keisha Sutton-James, Dennis Colon, James Heidington. Um, and the topic was um, how to leverage our diverse backgrounds in the workplace. And it was just a fantastic, honest, unfiltered conversation and such unique points of view, you know, POVs from, from all of them. Um, it was great. It was a great event. And so now that we're sort of, you know, in bunkered down in isolation and self-isolation, we've been trying to brainstorm ways that we could still bring meaningful content to our members. So we're actually delving into the, the arena of webinars. So we've actually got our first webinar uh, that we're going to host next week. Um, for some of our bays and it's centered, it's actually centered, centered around harnessing your hustle. So it's, it's how do you find your hustle in times of stress like this? What are the things that inspire you and what are the things that, that you're struggling with and what are some tactics to help deal with them? Uh, and we've got Dr. Sharon Melnick, who is an author, um, a leading authority on women's next level success. She's an executive coach. She's done a number of years of research at Harvard. Um, she's going to be leading and moderating the discussion. I mean, I just, I love every part of this. This is one of, I mean, you guys are a thing now. I guess That's we what's are. so amazing about this. You, you totally are. Uh, I don't, and, and you know what? It's not, it's not even like we didn't start out wanting to be a thing. We just started out wanting to do something good. Like this is really, I have to tell you with all the stress of life and work and, and, you know, drama and just the constant changes in our business, this is what keeps me going. It really is. Well, it's so important. And what's so amazing about that, that most recent event that you guys hosted in person before uh, this global pandemic sort of derailed all of our in-person activities was that I had multiple people saying to me, multiple people who I wouldn't have even thought would have heard of Tech Bay saying to me, are you going to Tech Bay tonight? <laughs> like, that's, that's amazing. That's like overwhelming and unbelievable. And, you know, you should be just so incredibly proud of this because um, it's really, truly amazing. It's amazing. And we're so grateful. You know, and again, it's just, it's a simple concept. It's just, let's just put some good out there. You know, let's let's find let's find meaningful topics. Let's bring some some positivity, um, and let's pay it forward. You know, and honestly, if there's one good thing that came out of that absolutely horrendous movie, um, it's that phrase, right? Um, because it's something that we should all be aiming to do all the time in our careers, especially as we ascend. And it's not just for people like us, right? It should be anyone who needs a hand and a step up. And that's why, you know. I should be at with Tech Bay helping you guys out too, and and everybody should be doing everything for everyone. It's so 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 important because the role that that hand plays in someone's career can't be overstated. The amount of luck and help that I've had in my career to get to where I am is so 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 important. So again, it's just it's fabulous. Yeah, and I think you know 
Absolutely. And I, and I think if we want to, if we want to continue to see um, diversity and equality in our industry, I think we all have a responsibility to, to help in that. In any way we can. I completely yeah. agree. It's funny. Yeah. I, you've, I'm sure, heard of the Walter Cates dinner that they throw every November-ish uh, in time frame. That's, it's meant to address this uh, specifically, um, which is just diversity in the workplace. I think in general, focused on media, not specifically technology. Um, but a, a client of mine who I invited in the past who will remain nameless um, you know, every big media company buys a table at this thing and then they try to pack that table as diversely as possible. Um, <laughs> so it's one of those things where like, you know, it's like the president of the company brings, um, a sales planner because they need the diversity at the table. Um, and I invited someone and she said to me, she's like, oh yeah, I've been to the Walter Cates dinner since I was a sales planner. Like I get invited every year. I'm surprised when people haven't heard of it. Um, so it can't just be that is my point. No, right? uh, that's yeah. not enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 um, I there I can't tell you how many times I've heard junior women say like I just I don't know like how what what can I do like I, I don't feel like I have access to the right people I don't I don't feel like I I you know I know how to handle such certain situations or I know how to I you know there there are so many situations where um, I don't feel like I have an advocate or how do I advocate for myself and. You know, so it's just, I think it, at its very, at the very root of it, we're trying to, we're trying to make, facilitate those connections um, for, for women that are junior rising stars that want to get ahead, that want to make some connections, that want to sort of, you know, and I, and I wish I had this, I, I, I was really lucky throughout my career. I had some really great mentors along the way who were great advocates for me, Um but certainly there have been times in my career where I, I didn't have the right leadership or I didn't have the right advocates and I struggled with navigating and I thought I was alone. And, you know, over time you realize you're not, we're sort of all going through the same struggles, maybe in different, in different ways or different capacities, but, but you're not alone and you do have resources and you just have to figure out how to tap into those resources. And so that's what we're just trying to, we're trying to advocate for that, for that connection and that inclusion within the circle. And that's the thing, right? I, I think of that a lot of times as a parent, um, which is that with my first, nobody told me what to do. Um, I have the playbook for my second because I lived through it. Um, mm -hmm. And so finding these types of support structures in the construct kind of best, someone has to teach you, someone yes. has to show you, someone has to help you. Um, and it's much easier to do that um, when it's just already there as opposed to having to invent that network. And that's the thing. It's already there. It is. You just you just have to you have to find a way to tap into it. And, you know, and for us, we've, we've made it sort of our our pet project to make it available. Amazing. Um, OK, I always ask uh, one last question. That's my thing. Um, so I have one last question, Okay. which is. You started as a TV and radio production person. If I could wave my magic wand and put you as the executive producer of any show, oh past or present, <laughs> you could pick any show that you would be the executive producer for, what would you pick? There are so many good ones. Um, you know what? Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. 
That's a good one. Tell me why. I absolutely. And by the way, my, my husband is probably going to be shocked that I picked that show because I'm not a football person. <laughs> but I love, I've watched, I've probably watched every season a couple times over. I just, I loved the show. I loved the storylines. Tammy Taylor is one of my favorite characters. Um, it was so well done. I, I just, it's, I, yeah, I would have loved to have, to have produced that show. That's a great answer. What are you guys watching now while you're oh. in quarantine? Jeff, you know what? I, I used to, uh, and, I, and again, this is another one of my realizations. As much as I hated my commute, that was my time to watch my shows. I don't have time to watch anything right now. Cause I'm, cause when I do sit down, I, you know, I'll end up watching with the kids, whatever they're watching. Um, so I recently probably like uh, about a, a week or two ago started watching, um, never have I ever with my oldest. So that that's about the only new show I've watched in, in quarantine. Everything else is like, you know, kids, kids programming. <laughs> Yeah, that's really funny. If it's a live-action Nickelodeon show, I've that's seen right. it. Let's put that's it that right. way. Yeah. Listen, thank you, thank you, thank you so much um, for taking the time. Um, this was fabulous, and I, I really appreciate it. Um, this is great. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Thanks again to Seema for joining me this week. I tried to reach out to Jason Katims, showrunner for Friday Night Lights, on Twitter to see what he thought of Seema's dream job. There was no sliding into his DMs. They're blocked, but I'll keep working on it. So instead of commentary from a talented writer and producer, here's the theme song to his brilliant program, Friday Night Lights. Until next time. <laughs>